In a world where two duck fans wanted to record a podcast about Oregon duck sports and other stuff, this, this podcast is what they came up with. I know, it's not very good, but it's the best they could do. Anyway, welcome to the flock. It's been a long time, I shouldn't have left you. Without a strong rhyme to step to, think of how many weeks shows you slept through. Time's up, I'm sorry I kept you. Thinking of this, you keep repeating your mess. The rhyme from the microphone solo with. So you sit by the radio and on the dial soon. As you hear it, pump up the volume. Welcome to the Flock Pod. Hashtag 063. Three. I think so. 363, yes, yeah. sir. We are here in the lovely condo. You can find us at the Flock Pod on all of those major social media platforms and those same podcast streaming platforms. I got my man Shane here with us today. We got the producers here with us today. Shane, tell them where you are. I am at Shane Potter Six on the Twitter and at Walker Walker Shane Six on the Instagram. You're struggling a little bit without the whiteboard. Yeah, right? we're all over the place today. Yeah, we're all uh, over the place. While, while we're just going off the rails, we're also partnered with WestCoastCFB.com. I want to make sure we get that in there. Yeah, I forget I, sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Man, I forget sometimes. Yeah, we're winging it today. We're doing a little bit different. Um, Shane and I just watched the uh, Oregon-Stanford game. Not together, unfortunately. But still, we're here to talk about it with you guys. And uh, just kind of flowing a little free flow today. You know, mm-hmm. just kind of, it's like a, it's an open run in the gym today. Today. You know, no <laughs> drills. We're just going to roll the ball out and kind of see what happens. Just like that uh, Oregon women's game kind of seemed like an AAU game with it being in the Santa Cruz Warriors. Yes. Uh, so these, this is like a AAU summer like tournament style podcast. My favorite part of that whole game from like a viewing perspective was at one point like a, someone was getting ready to shoot free throws and they were showing a door back behind one of the baskets and some guy was walking in with like the bucket and mop. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is very AAU right now. Like someone spilled a Gatorade. Let's clean it up. <laughs> so yeah, lots to talk about today. We're also going to jump into some men's basketball talk. We'll give you a little bit of a football recap from a college and a little bit of an NFL angle also from a pro Dex perspective. But, yeah, we're going to jump right into it. That was a tough game for the Oregon women this, this afternoon, this morning. I mean, let's talk about that first. Let's just jump right into that. Pac-12, what are we doing here? This is a top 11 matchup for one of your premier sports in your conference. Mm-hmm. If we're going to be honest, we're going to be real. Probably the best sport in the conference. Probably right now. From Considering a, Stanford's number one. From a competitive standpoint, yes, top to bottom, I would agree with that. And you have a game at Friday at 11 a.m.? Like, what are we doing? Mm-hmm. Why are these games being played so early? I have not seen a real reason for why this is happening the way it is. My bigger issue with that is if we are going to have a game at Friday at 1130, how is it not on, like, ESPNU? Something. Or ESPN. Or, Something. Yeah. I, mean, I understand ESPN's kind of going through, like, their normal gambit of... Uh, you know, talking head shows and whatever. Stephen A. Smith probably can't interrupt PTI. We can't yeah. interrupt PTI. But on ESPNU, I, I I don't know this for a fact, but I guarantee you it was some replay of a game from either last night or earlier in the week, or just some you know something that doesn't need to be shown when you when you have live sporting events going on. So I think it's a little weird that it was on the Pac-12 network and with that time. And I think the game kind of the start of that game reflected how weird it was too. Yeah. You saw a lot of cold shooting. They're in this weird gym. I kind of like the floor on that Warriors. I love the floor. I mean, the, the Warriors colorway is great, and the way that they that, that Santa Cruz facility was has definitely been done. They did a great job mm-hmm. making that. But it's 
it felt like a consolation bracket tournament game. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what it felt like, just having it. At a, it's just it's weird. So Pac-12, let's get our stuff together. Let's keep the shot clock on the TV the whole time. Also, I don't yeah. know what was going on with that. Like yeah, it was kind of coming and blocks. going. Yeah. Like we're having some production issues. Um, we'll maybe get into the announcers a little bit later. But yeah, there was a lot of things from just a viewing perspective that were a little hard to hard to take for this one. And then that third quarter. You know, that third quarter from a fan perspective, that was probably the hardest pill to swallow for the whole game. Um, I mean, we'll get into a little bit more of just a pure recap here in a moment. But that was that was the swing moment for this game. And Aaron Boley picking up that fourth foul on a really bad, really, really bad moving screen call um, completely changed this game. So I'll start. Let's just start. Yeah, let's right get here. in it. Let's go. Let's uh, go. My biggest problem with this game as a whole was from the officiating standpoint, and I don't really like to harp on refs too much, and I don't think this was a uh, – it wasn't like, oh, they were calling all the fouls on Oregon kind of thing, and we got cheated, blah, 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 that you hear a lot of people on Twitter talking about. But it was the, the way that it was handled when – when you let a game become too physical too early, eventually you're going to have to pull the reins in or else there's going to be a fight. Or so it's just going to turn into a street fight style basketball game that nobody really wants to watch on TV and is going to be scrutinized for a ton of different reasons. So when they did pull the reins back around the second quarter, they started calling everything ticky-tacky away from the hoop, which in my opinion... You want to make sure that you're quicker on the whistles when the ball is going to the hoop when you want to pull the reins back in. And full disclosure, for anybody who's a first-time listener, I mean, Shane's done a lot of officiating. I mean, not necessarily at, like, a collegiate level, but he's done enough officiating to understand game flow, timing. These kinds of things are important from an official perspective to not allow you to become the star of the game, and I Mm -hmm. feel like that's kind of what happened today. They absolutely took over, and it was especially with the travel calls. Now, they they did have – there was some walk. Walking in mm-hmm. this game, but mm-hmm. it was weird how quick the whistles were. Every time the ball handler kind of like initiated any sort of contact, the whistle was blown, and then they kind of figured out the call afterward. And two of them, I mean, there was like two that were in a row that were travels, and it was pretty easy. But then there was the that Naira Sable one. So it wasn't a travel. It was. I disagree with you on that. That's one. If you watch the replay, she puts the toe of her foot down and then it does drag. I think so she now, almost traveled more when she initiated the dribble than she did when she picked up her dribble. Now, the argument I would give you is, as an official, you call that travel in that scenario when you've let so many others go throughout the game. And I actually tweeted out that my one of my favorite Dana gifts of the meme of all time, you know, Dana angry when you bend your knees. Because if Sabli comes over court and just jump stops there, yeah. then she's good. And it... The officiating was definitely a problem in this game. It turned into an ugly game. I mean, 32 total turnovers, 17 for Stanford, 15 for Oregon. Oregon ends the game with 18 fouls, Stanford with seven. And my my thing is when you watch the way the teams were playing, Stanford was butting up to almost every single screen or Mm -hmm. fighting over the screen. They were being incredibly physical on the perimeter with our guards. And a lot of those calls weren't the ones being called. And so when you have a team that's playing so up the line like that, in my experience, those are the teams that are usually more foul-prone because they're putting themselves in more positions to have those fouls because they're being very aggressive. And they did a good, contact. they did a great job, though, of hitting first. And then when Oregon tried to free up some of their guards with some of those screens, they the Stanford guards did a wonderful
wonderful job of creating contact and then selling it. Mm-hmm. And that's where they got a couple. And that's in my outline. I was like, I didn't realize it was a requirement for Stanford basketball players to take acting classes. But it was they did a really good job, and they were the more experienced team. Oh, absolutely. and that's that's the other thing that I really want to get into here is they this Oregon team finally played like freshmen. Mm-hmm. They finally played like freshmen during that third quarter when Aaron Bowley had to sit down. And I, I think I tweeted it to you also. When this team has Sedona and Bowley, they can be one of the top teams in the country. When they don't have Sedona, they can be a good team. They can be a really, really good team, a top 15 team. When they don't have both of them, they're just kind of an average squad right now. And I think that that's – that. I mean, those are two top 15 players, top 20 players maybe in the country. So when you lose them, it's understandable that your level of play would go down. But that's when those freshman mistakes really started to come out. Tahina was being – absolutely hounded all game long and pestered and she just looked tired during that third quarter she got a little more pep in her step during the fourth she has uh she has funny facial expressions love it when she's getting like a little annoyed and i need just a pow pow cam like (laughs) i need that i would watch that probably i'd watch that sit down and watch that game again right now if i had that pow pow cam she is so funny she just cares so much and you can tell the announcers were even and this was one thing that i thought they did a good job of they could see her wanting to take over the game at spots and Stanford just simply didn't allow her to. They really focused on her and Mike Cassell from the three-point line. Mm-hmm. Every screen Mike Cassell come off, I don't think she got a, a clean up-and-down look from three. She was taking a lot of She forced Steph, a couple. She was, and she's made a couple of those mm-hmm. where those, those Steph Curry leaners where she comes off, she catches, but she's still kind of flowing. She's not balanced necessarily. There was one in the third quarter off an offensive rebound where I was like, man, I wish that would have been anybody else because mm-hmm. it was – I want her to shoot the ball to get back in because mm-hmm. if she would have had a hot streak there, kind of like Maddie Scherer had at, at the mm-hmm. end of the third mm-hmm. quarter for a second, it would have made that team or that game really competitive. But you could tell it kicked out to her. She was open. She was like, "I'm firing it," and it was it was shot like that too. Yeah, like it looked like it was coming out of a cannon. The one that got me was the I think it. I'm trying to remember the actual flow here. I think it was a bully steal. No, it was a Tahina steal. And she kicked it down low, and then it got kicked back out. And both Pow Pow and Mike Cassell are like right next to each other. And it went to Mike Cassell and said, I was like, oh, like she, Pow Pow earned that one. Like, give right. it back to yeah. her. So, just a few like game flow things that you can really tell that, that this was a, a freshman led squad as opposed to a Bowley or Sedona led squad. And let's be, I mean, Stanford won this game. This wasn't a game that Oregon lost per se. It had, there were opportunities for Oregon if a couple of those shots go down, a couple big threes if they would have fallen would have given a little bit more momentum and obviously the Sobley travel I mean you're, you're down five 57 seconds left you're on the fast break you go get a two or a three there it's a completely different game for that last 50 seconds so it's it's there's moments here but Stanford won this game with well, their play there was a couple of moments there where that could have been a 25 point game pretty easily too. absolutely and I it mean was, it was coming really close to like water in a in a grasp there but then Oregon did fight really hard and that's when they got a lot of steals too how many inbound passes they steal. Yeah, active hands. You can tell that that's definitely something that the coaching staff works on in practice with this team is active hands. And just to get back to um, what you were saying, that this could have been a 25-point game, Stanford shot 5 of 16 from behind the three-point line. So Oregon continues their good three-point defense. However, a couple of those were wide-open misses. And I think if Stanford shoots the ball better from the outside, this is a, a little bit of more of a runaway game. Um, but I, I mean, my biggest that the what if of this game is the bully foul trouble. Mm-hmm. If bully doesn't get into foul trouble and they're able to play with her out there on the floor, even for a four or five minute stint during that third quarter, 
I really believe that this is a different game at the end of the day. Um, Oregon shoots 39.4% from the field. Stanford, 43.3%. Free throws, only four of seven from the line for the Ducks. You would have liked to have seen that number in the teens at least. Stanford um, actually ended up kind of being the difference in the game. Um, 81% for Stanford, 13 of 16. So that's your seven points. That's your seven points right there. And as a coach, that's what's hard to sell sometimes to your team is it's like, hey, a play or two here and there, mm-hmm. a point or two here and there. I mean, they talk about it in football. It's a game of inches all the time. Or in basketball, it's really the same thing. And Oregon was doing a great job of beating Stanford to a lot of those loose balls. Um, they were the more scrappy team, I think, early on, and that's what really helped keep them in the game. There was one play in the fourth quarter, though, and she's one of my favorite players, but Lydia Giomi <laughs> went for a loose ball on the ground, and it was the slowest I've ever seen a human being go from standing to on the floor. And then did, did actually get on the ball and did wrestle it away, and Oregon did maintain possession there. And at the end, there was also that crazy play where Tiana Powpow was actually grabbed by the back of her knee. She was going for a leg lock there, I thought. I was yeah. going to roll around and put an impressive submission hold yeah. on her. But, yeah, there were definitely – I mean – yeah, just one of those tough games, a weird game where you knew it could go either way there at the end. You hate the if the officials played such a big role in it. However, I am looking forward to the rematch of this, and I really I really hope that Sedona can get healthy and be available. I hope Stanford can get 100% healthy for that game too because they were down a couple players in this one. I was glad not to see the other uh, the other twin, Lexi Hole. Yes, yes. God, she's an Oregon killer. I totally forgot that Brink played on that team. Mm-hmm. You know, Brink coming out of Oregon, I believe played at Southridge up in the Portland area. Eugene. Uh, Beaverton area, yeah. yeah. Um, I think she no, she played her last year at um, oh that brand new school. Uh, I can't remember what the name of it is now, but yeah, she transferred like her senior season, which was a big deal. Um, coming off the bench for that Stanford team, that was a little bit of a surprise to me. Um, well, she, they got DeAndre Jordan's daughter or whatever. That whoever she, she's, yeah, Jesus. she's a stud, <laughs> and she's a sophomore. She's another player that'll come out probably after her junior year for the WNBA draft. Just be able to her Did talent you see level. The dunk she had against uh, like Washington State, where she got the steal and then went yep. around the back. Yeah, couple really. Down. The most impressive play I've seen her make was that block of I think it was Maddie Shear in the corner, yeah. where she came out of nowhere. I mean, that was like Zion coming yeah, out of nowhere and blocking the three in the corner. Like, like, oh, this would really help Oren get back into it and just gets erased. Yes. Like, uh, that was like um, when Syracuse won the national championship and Akeem Warwick had that oh, block. good callback. Yeah, yeah <laughs> absolutely. I mean, those blocks are huge momentum games, mm-hmm. big momentum shifters. In women's basketball, it's different because the dunk is the big momentum shift in men's basketball. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, I think it was a couple games ago when Oregon was playing at home. Uh, LJ came through with like a big tip in dunk. Oh, and he he shot he followed. His yeah, and, he sh- and if yeah. I mean if the crowd was there, the whole thing, I mean the arena would have been going crazy. Yeah. I mean all the momentum would have been there. And women's basketball, it's the block and the three are the yeah. big momentum plays. And to have that kind of a play, I mean if Stanford, if that if Maples or they would have been in Maples and Maples would have been full, that oh, would have been, been the crazy. end of the game right Especially there. Especially after Oregon beat Stanford three times last year. Yeah. Yes. And that's another thing to remember is this is an experienced, angry Stanford team. They won that <laughs> win real bad. And five of these girls are like, why are they so pissed off? You yeah. Know I mean? and, and I, I do want to get into too. Uh, Haley Jones, I think, is the best basketball, the best basketball player in uh, women's basketball in the Pac-12. Yeah, I think um, she's definitely up there with the guard from Arizona. Um, she's been Mary incredibly, Donald. yeah, she's been incredibly impressive this season. Um, I think Haley Jones has this uh, versatility with her size and then being able to play like a guard. But she basically is a four. I mean, she plays the four. 
she's like a Eugene Omarui where she can do everything on the court and even she has a better handle and more playmaking ability than Eugene does. But I mean, like leading the Pac-12 in rebounds, I think they said. And mm. I mean, it's, it's, she's impressive. She reminds me of a more mobile Satsu Sabli where it's like has that mm. size and can do all these things, but she seems to just kind of glide around the floor. And I mean, it was, I think she had eight points in the first half and she led all scorers in the first half in this game. And it was kind of like, wow, she really... Looks like we haven't really seen much. And I even said, I tweeted out, like, don't let her get going. Don't let her get going. And then it was like 10 points in that third quarter. It was like, uh oh. And that was when that lead started to get expanded. And that's when Bowley went to the bench. Mm-hmm. And Bowley was doing a good job. And I mean, Oregon's doing a lot of switching, a lot of zone stuff like that. But that Bowley um, Jones matchup was fun to watch when, when they are, were on each other. She finishes the game with 18 points, six boards, two assists, leading the Stanford Cardinal in uh, points there. Um, What'd she shoot from the... I don't have that, unfortunately. Okay. But, yeah, I know she was very efficient because yeah. a lot of her buckets were coming near the... I was really impressed with her footwork. Um, a couple times she got deep into the paint and was still able to get a shot up and create an angle for herself Especially that was advantageous. The, the other thing that I didn't like about the way that the game was called was that when they got into the second half, you could tell that both teams were uh, trying to kind of manipulate the way that the game was being called. There was a lot of flopping in the mm-hmm, second half, which mm-hmm. just creates a lot of stickiness. And there was one play where Haley Jones got the ball down low, and I think it was Jazz Shelley that flopped off of her. And it was actually impressive. That's a shot that a lot of people miss when they have a body underneath their feet. And she was able to kind of like shoot, kind of a little like fade away. Collect away, and finish. Yeah, yeah, away from where the people were. And yeah, I mean, just there were so many bodies on the floor there that it started the fourth quarter. It was, it was, was that brutal. When the bodies at the floor. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I felt like the, the commentators didn't really mention a ton about Sedona Prince being out of the game when Oregon's backup center is Angela Dugalich. Dugalich. And she played well, but she's just a Plays well, but you can tell. And I even I put it in her notes that I think she's been the most improved player on this team from when mm. she got here to right now. Mm-hmm. I don't think I think she's probably the fourth best freshman on this team, probably mm-hmm. a little better than Kylie Watson. But it's such a ball club. I mean, yeah. and it's still you can still see it. There's still so much potential. She was like. Kind of letting her teammates get some rebounds, which I don't really like, because you don't always know. Because a lot of times you can say, same, 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 when you're not on the same team. But I would never do something <laughs> like that on a basketball floor. I would never be such a trickster. But is but is a player that I think is making leaps and bounds. But when she's playing like in a game like today against that team, about 20 minutes, it's just too much. Well, and that's a, that's a beautiful segue into what I wanted to talk about to kind of – well, i got two more things I want to talk about, and then we can wrap this up and move on to the men's game. But this team mimics the football team in a lot of ways. Very, very young, very, very talented. I mean, they mentioned it in the broadcast, and I was like – I mean, they're probably right. Tina Powpow is probably the best freshman in the country. Uh <laughs> I'd say the I can't remember her name, but I, there's a girl at Louisville that is uh, very impressive, and then that girl at UConn. So one of the top, sick. one yeah, of the I'd top, say top three, top three, top yeah. three, and to have the depth of freshmen behind her, mm-hmm. and just like you mentioned, some of her facial expressions, I just she's got a little bit of that like. It's it's corny, but it's an it factor. It's a it's a I'm going to grab this game and eat its heart out in front of you, and then I'm going to win. You know, it's it reminds me a bit of, and I don't want to sound like I'm trolling for likes here or something, but it sounds it, it reminds me of Kobe a bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and she was another one of those girls that grew up in California. I mean, was I mean, she idolized Sabrina Unescu coming up. That's one of the main reasons why she wanted to come to the University of Oregon. I mean, I I hope we get three years of her. Yeah. <laughs> At this point, I'm really hoping we get to watch her for three years in an Oregon uniform. The last thing I wanted to get into is 
the announcers. Okay, I'm glad you wanted to go because there. Because I and this is I mean I tweeted this to you. I, this is something I'm uncomfortable doing because we I I'm I'm happy to see a women's basketball game with two female broadcasters on it. That is something that I, I love to see and I love to listen to because it does give you a little bit of a different angle. Mm-hmm. However, a few things in this game they just did not see correctly and were analyzing what they thought they saw, which wasn't in, on the tape in front of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just there were a couple moments where you could just tell that they were disconnected from the game. I don't know if they were there in person and covering the game or whether this was one of those. Which is a hurdle. Oh, it's huge. Yeah. I mean, you've got you're managing so many different things when you're calling a game from your, your visual intake to multiple audio because mm-hmm. you've got the game audio, you've got a producer in your ear, you've got your co-announcer in your ear. So there's a lot going on there. So I want to give them, I mean, they do. They, any announcer does a great job. However, there were just a couple things that, I mean, it's kind of like when you're watching a movie and like a CG thing happens, it just kind of takes you out and you're like, oh, I'm watching a movie. Mm -hmm. That was what happened to me a couple times in this game where I almost put it on mute. Especially with a game of that magnitude. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of importance and like we said, like Stanford becoming an extremely fired up and all of these freshmen first time, you know, getting their biggest test of their collegiate career so far. And there was one thing that stuck out to me. It was when they called the five freshmen for for Oregon babies. Thank you. And Thank you. Because you, you got some no, babies out there. Nobody would have ever said that about the Fab Five at Michigan. When it said, "Look at these babies on the floor," and it's it's such a weird cognitation that I honestly wouldn't. I would have more uh, expected that uh, as a male commentator saying Interesting, that about yeah. a women's yeah. team. Mm-hmm. I was kind of like odd that you would put it that like that way instead of like these five young warriors or something like you could. There's all of these things. Ducklings. Can... I call them ducklings. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are a group of ducklings right now, young ducks. But that's a way to get Kevon your... Thibodeau is also a duckling. Exactly. Yeah. There's a way to get your point across in that way, in, in that moment, without being just somewhat problematic. Disrespectful? Yeah, somewhat problematic. Yeah, I mean, there's I... just a way to do it and a way not to do it. And again, we're, we're totally... You know, armchairing this a little oh, bit, you know, the, but and it's, the babies thing too. There was a pause afterwards that I think it was kind of like, like maybe you shouldn't have said. That. I mean, I've said some things on this podcast that <laughs> I wish that I could take back. I mean, let's not. Yeah, anyway, yeah. like Jordan Scott, I love you, but it's yeah. There's some things that I mean. Sometimes things slip out, and again, it's a live broadcast. And this, I would have loved a Homer broadcast. I would have loved Bev Smith, and I would have loved somebody else. Um, <laughs> I dream of the day that I get a Bill Walton women's basketball game. I I'm so over. See, and this is where this is one thing that we really differ on. I love Bill Walton. And Bill Walton cannot call enough basketball games to to appease my appetite for his content. But yes, my dad and Papa Duck is the exact same way as you. He'll mute a game if Walton's calling it. It's what was the last Bill? Was it the Colorado game? Was that Bill Walton? He did a game the other day. It was the Sun Devil game, and that's those are the tweet that I put out from the Flock Pod where it's like, "Oh, Sun Devils are in big trouble here." And Pasha's like, "Why? They're down too. And he's like, "Oh, I misread the." scoreboard <laughs> it's like i love it like he's so genuine and that's what i want from announcers is i want them just to be real i want them to be honest and this is my thing with jordan kent where it's like okay you can stop being a robot like let your personality out a little I bit i still want him to stay somewhat on topic though it's so annoying especially they're the roaring mountains of the rockies <laughs> I, bill walton has gotten in the habit of calling eugene amore eugene from eugene and it's like <laughs> he's not from eugene, he's not from eugene. 
<laughs> he definitely is corny. It He's sucks. definitely it corny. Sucks to listen to. <laughs> it's like I remember the last game he called. It was just like I was just not having. It. I was like, it was I the Colorado game, and that's why it was a harder game. I was yeah, like, I cannot take him right now. Yeah. It's just it's too much for me. Well, and again, I mean, let, let's use this as now a segue. Let's jump into the men's basketball game here. The women obviously have another big test coming up here, and we'll give you some more coverage. And I I believe they'll bounce back. This might be the first time they've lost back to back games in the Bully era. True. That's. I mean, I'm just kind of throwing a stat from my yeah. from my behind here, but yeah, I'd be curious to see that. Maybe, maybe. Um, I think you're going to see this team bounce back in a big way once they get 100% healthy and whatnot. So yeah, let's jump over here to the men's side. Um, the mountain trip continues to be a huge problem for the University of Oregon and the rest of the Pac-12. Let's be honest here. Um, obviously, Oregon's had their troubles at Colorado specifically, but we've talked about this at length. Why... If the Pac-12 continues to make these tandem scheduling trips mm-hmm. where, you know, you travel with, like, your partner, right? Oregon, or, excuse me, Colorado and Utah will be good programs in the Pac-12 because they're going to win 50% of their home games, even if they're bad teams mm-hmm. because you're up there playing in altitude, you're traveling, it's a different environment. Even without fans there, it's still probably the toughest road trip in the country. Did you notice that they had, like, and I'm okay with it because Colorado is kind of always super loud, but did yeah. you notice that was the loudest fake yep. crowd noise? And it didn't, like, ebbs and, ebb and flow. No, it, was it was just, ah! Yeah, like, it was constant. Which I, I thought was actually kind of a cool... Uh, replication of what it mm-hmm. is like to play. They're like, look, we have this sort of advantage. Yeah, and I did like the NFL. They had a thing where it was like with the fake crowd noise. You you were able to use up to eighty five percent of the loudest decibel recorded at your. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think it should be allowed to kind of change. I mean, home court advantage like. Matthew Knight hasn't been a great home court advantage place. Well, um, yeah, that's a whole nother... We could do a whole podcast about that. But yeah, I think that if the Pac-12 has foresight and goes away from this schedule, then you might see some things change. But until that happens... Colorado and Utah are going to be, and they're well coached. They're well run programs. I mean, let's not let's not. I mean, take too much away from them here. But just simply that road trip in and of itself is going to put them in a position to contend for middle of the pack every single week. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and they're getting better and better talent. And like I said, like I just said, Haley Jones is the best female. Here basketball it is. This player is what I was hoping. Yep. McKinley Wright is the best male basketball player in the Pac-12. Is he an NBA guy? No, but I he don't... is. He's so, he's like the the perfect like college guy yeah like the college point guard he makes his jersey look kind of big the reason why (laughs) the reason why i asked that is because there were moments where he reminded me of pritchard watching mm-hmm. that game specifically. And I know the, the broadcasters they were, were heavy really on that. They were trying to drive that point home. Yeah, they were heavy on that. Because there, there was a good rivalry there between those two guys. And he's a guy that I think could, I mean, we'll get into Peyton Pritchard later, but he's a guy that I think could surprise some people at the next level just because of his quickness, his handle. And he he was able to move pretty well laterally. Um, it's something that I'm watching a lot more closely now now that I've been so freaking wrong on Pritchard. <laughs> like, I'm like, I really need to pay attention to my takes and make sure that I'm actually, you know, really believing what I'm saying here but um that's it was impressive it was really impressive to just watch him throw that team on his back and carry them to that victory um so many times we've seen dana altman teams you know be be down six with four minutes left and somehow dana just like manipulates the game for the ducks to come out ahead but we we both kind of hit on something that i think is the main problem with this duck team right now is they just don't seem to like each other some weird body language, and even there was a there was a point in the game when Duarte, uh, who did one of his many things where he kind of like drove and assumed that LJ was going to stay in a spot and threw it an LJ driven baseline, so he just throws. And he the ball looks at him and slaps the floor. Yep. And they've talked about these guys played together on the Dominican national team, so they have a history with each other. And maybe you know 
I, I'm okay with that relationship if you're like really hard on him because you guys are friends at practice. And then you hug it out. Yeah. yeah. Don't do it in the game. Don't show the other eight people on the floor that you guys now have a thing. Because if I'm on the other team, like I'm going at them yeah. now. I mean, you're giving them ammo. Yeah, yeah. You're showing me your cards. Absolutely. You're showing a weakness in that way. And the play that really stuck out to me was um, Duarte was it was a fast break for Colorado. Um, Hardy was running with the guy dribbling, but kind of gave up on the play. And mm-hmm. Duarte comes flying through. He gets the block, but then two more buffs come down, and Hardy doesn't box out. They get an easy putback. I mean, that was a play. Put back and one. And that was, a, I mean, Dana called a timeout right after that. And that was a play where Hardy didn't turn around to look at Duarte the entire time they walked back to the bench. So this is something that I, I mean, I pay really close attention to body language and those little, those micro, I mean, they're not, they're not microaggressions, but just those micro moments where you can see teammates interacting with one another. Rebounding is another big one. If I see two guys like you were kind of talking about like you want everybody to go after the board but once somebody has it when teammates are still kind of like i want my stat mm-hmm. kind of battle that that's something that kind of sticks out to me and that's something i've seen a couple times with this oregon men's team also is they're just there's not a lot of continuity and this is a team that's kind of put together as a mid-major all-star team you know a lot of guys coming in as grad transfers we are used to seeing dana be able to put the puzzle pieces together to make a beautiful picture and i don't know if this is something that this team just needs more time to gel there is a lot of covidness that would have helped i mean absolutely in a non-covid world yeah would have had eight more weeks well and i mean i don't know what the what practices look out right now i mean what kind of level of continuity are they able to develop in practice not to mention the fact that they don't have jalen terry they're who they thought were going to be their backup point guard and they're still down will richardson and i think that he is the guy that stirs the drink for this team and he's the best player on this team i would i mean eugene is playing really really well but i think when Will gets back out there, we'll be able to see who that most talented player is. And I just, I'm worried that maybe there's been too much damage done now that even when Will comes back, I don't know if this team can turn the corner for their potential. Yeah, I think they're a team, like you said, being kind of like a hodgepodge all-star team. I think they can kind of run with any team on any given day. I miss hodgepodge. Don't <laughs> you I'll remember like the teriyaki bowls? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, hodgepodge. I remember like a dollar fifty. we get some rice and teriyaki. Like, ooh, that was good yeah, stuff, man. Now good that's stuff. like a... Is there one on campus else? too? No. Yeah, there's one on campus. Anyway, so yeah, it's it's a weird team. It's a weird team, but we're and again we're used to seeing Dana be able to put these things together, and this is just where he's injuries have obviously hurt, losing in Folly Dante. Um, we're we're not really sure what's happening with Frank the Tank. You know, is he gonna really be able to get some? Yeah, Lockwer hasn't turned into the player that we were hoping him to be at all. Chandler Lawson actually played really well at times. In that game, in I mean, really, half, really he was well. Awesome. And then at the very end, he got a, lot, a little bit of swag back. Yeah. He took two threes in the first half. He yeah. made one of them. Yeah. Uh, he like had a uh, foul where he tried to dunk, which I've been asking him to do mm-hmm. since he stepped on campus. I'm like, if you go up and just, even if you miss, even if you throw the ball over the backboard, if you put your hands on the rim, I bet you they blow the whistle. Yeah, just give yourself a chance. You know what I mean? Give yourself a chance by going to the rack strong. <sighs> I miss CJ Walker. Yes, CJ Walker would have been a good player to have on that team yesterday. He's ha- he's playing pretty he's playing well. really well. We he's watched well. a little bit of him play uh, a couple weeks ago yep. for UCF. Yeah, yeah, he's I playing well UCF down there. And USF mixed up. All those Florida schools kind of run together yeah. too. It's just it's just Florida basketball to uh-huh. me, really. Uh, what was the the Florida Gulf Coast? You know, what I mean? all those <laughs> like yeah, it's just kind of but, Florida I mean, basketball. And even like you said, like missing Jalen Terry, who's like a backup point guard who the team saw. Point guard. He's not even really a true point guard when you watch him play. No, he's a combo guard. Yeah. I mean, 
mean, Amari Hardy, I guess, I mean, because he doesn't really shoot the ball a lot, you could say he is more of a true point guard, but there's nobody, like, no team is missing a piece bigger than Woolrich, and for what, it would bring everything together. I mean, just... In the Pac-12. To, okay, I would agree. Yeah, in the yeah, Pac-12, the I would Pac-12. agree. I mean, just delivering the ball to Eugene Amari. There were so many points in that game where I'm like, why is he not touching the ball? It's because you have Chris Duarte like, running the offense, and I like Duarte. He's a super skilled, great player. Yeah. Seems like a great kid. Not a playmaker. It's like when you watch the Bucks when Chris Middleton tries to like kind of uh, spread the ball around yep. and everything. It's he's too much of a scorer to kind of like take over that role. You want Duarte coming off of double screens. You want Darte being the guy in the corner when Will comes off that pick and roll when his guy kind of sinks down into the paint that kicked shot three. You want Duarte. Um, giving a hard ball fake from the perimeter, driving to the rack strong and giving you an and one finish. You don't want to put him in a position where he's not using his strengths. And you hit on a really good point where this team needs to play through Omaruri in the post. And when you're not, when you don't have guys that a aren't looking for him. And then B just aren't able to make post entry passes. It's crazy, it's, it's, but it's a skill that's been so lost. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just don't see it taught on a lot of different levels now, unfortunately. And I mean, I know Dana is an incredible coach, and this program is really good at developing fundamentals. But it's just it's interesting to see something like that that's so integral. I mean, my my biggest. I mean, my fanboy moment when I got to talk to Dana Altman in one of those camps. I was like, "What's the most important skill to you? Passing and catching the ball." And this is something that this team does not do very well. And so hopefully when Will Richardson gets out there, it'll flow better. It'll look better. It'll be more normalized because right now they're really trying to do – I mean, Aaron Estrada's looked good in the minutes that he's gotten. Um, I'm proud of us that we haven't, like, completely slandered Amari Hardy in this podcast yet, but he's somebody that statistically looks good. Yeah, statistically (laughs) looks good. But I think if you really watch the games and break down what he's doing, I don't think he's helping this team be very successful. And I'm, so I'm curious. And again, I don't want to sit here and question Dana Altman. That's not that's not who we are. No. In Dana, we trust. He definitely knows more than we do. Absolutely. Yeah. He's forgotten more about basketball than I'll ever know. However, there are just some things that I don't like that I'm seeing on the basketball floor right now. And I think that Amari Hardy is a big part of those problems. Yeah. You know who I would have as starting point guard? LJ. I would like that. I mean, he can be that Sean Marion kind of player where he can create a little bit for you. He can do some things for you. Andre Iguodala is another kind of comp good, for him. Ball handler. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he's just kind of wild. He's go big. ferocious. I mean, you could go really big with a team like this. The, the lineup that I want to see and that I'm really, really excited to see is Will Richardson, Chris Duarte, LJ Figueroa, Eric Williams, and Eugene Omaru. I want to see a small that that's like a death lineup. I mean, because Will Richardson, people forget what a great defender he was. Um, obviously, he can shoot the ball from three and do a lot of things on the offensive side of the ball. But his defense and being kind of the head of the press for Oregon is something that's really important. And then if you can move Omaruri to that back spot, because not having Infali Dante, not having that shot blocker, not having that brick wall behind this amoeba switching defense has exposed this defense in a lot of ways because they are very aggressive. They do do a lot of switching. And so when teams start to slip, if you don't have that guy waiting at the rim to send their shot back, they then they gain confidence. And then they go to the rack even stronger. And Chandler Lawson's doing what he can, but he's not that guy for this team. Yesterday uh, against Colorado, the lineup they had in that was doing the full court press when they really clawed their way back into the game was Eugene Amarori, uh, Aaron Estrada, LJ, 
Duarte and Eric Williams. And I mean that yeah, you're just basically saying sub out Will Rich for uh And I like Estrada with that Estrada. lineup too, because Estrada's shown that he can play solid defense. He's a big guard. I didn't really realize is. how big he was. Yeah. And I I, let me take that back. I didn't realize how built he was. Yeah, he's thick. I don't know if he put on a lot of weight or whatnot because that's a lot of the pictures that I saw of him, I was like, man, this kid needs a sandwich. Um, and he's definitely put in some time in the weight room. So he's a guy that I'm really curious to see how he progresses, especially when Will comes back and he can kind of fall back into a more comfortable role because yeah. he's another guy that looks like he's doing just a little bit too much right now. Yeah, it was kind of like with Jalen Terry earlier in the year. It was like, this isn't what I was told was going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> um, I need to return this product. This is not what I uh, bought here. So um, a big game coming up tomorrow. Um, the Ducks finish off the mountain trip um, versus Utah. Um, Oregon's ranked 17th in the country right now. If they win this game, there's a chance they could still remain in the top 25. If they lose it, they're definitely falling out. Um, Utah's yeah. always going to be a tough team. They got the, the tool man. Jimmy Allen, yeah, uh, and he has been—he's been a thorn in Oregon's side for a couple years now. Uh, don't really have a good player on the team to guard him. I mean, it was kind of C.J. Walker territory last year, and then they'd kind of throw various bigs on him and just kind of chase him off the three-point line. But he's—he's he's one of those versatile players, kind of like. Uh, oh man, I always forget the kid's name from Cal that uh, uh, Matt Bradley. Oh, that yeah, like yeah. running back playing yeah, back, playing they, basketball. Uh, I mean, like there's these guys in the Pac-12. It was him, Oscar De Silva. That Oregon just has kind of a problem covering. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, how this year's approach is going to be. Probably see Duarte on him early. They've kind of they've thrown Duarte, the other team's best score, early in a lot of the games, and then kind of gone uh, by committee after the first like couple minutes. Especially you get Duarte in foul trouble, and the rest of the, it can be a problem because. Eric Williams is a good three-point shooter, and I mean, some of these guys, I really like what they're able to do. Eugene O'Murray will kind of like spread the floor every now and again, but when he's taking too many, we're not doing the right things. I think I tweeted yesterday that a possession where Eugene O'Murray doesn't touch the ball on the block is a wasted possession, even if he's mm-hmm. kicking it out to a shooter from there. So when he's getting the ball on the perimeter a lot and trying to kind of get a lot of his scoring going from the outside, I think it presents the team a little bit more options. It's fun when they go in. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, it's fun when they go in. But it's, he's, he's one of those, no, 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 oh, good shot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Good shot. Yeah. Okay, can you pronounce the Utah men's basketball coach's last name? Oh, no. <laughs> so it's uh, Kristoviak, I believe, and I didn't know that his son is on the team this season, actually. There's a lot of Pac-12 coaches' kids. Yeah. uh, Anyway, um, so I'm going to just take this opportunity to once again plug my Arizona connection here. This is another one of those examples. Timmy Allen is a kid that played down in the Chandler, Arizona, Gilbert area. I assumed he was from Utah. No, he is a – his brother – we've talked about this before. His brother was actually a better player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But had some some issues, you know. And so Timmy Allen is a kid that I think a lot of people didn't think that would be at Utah for four years. So the fact that he has been and and produced the way that he has um, and developed his – game into becoming a well-rounded basketball player is definitely a testament to him and to that Utah coaching staff, but he's just a guy I like watching play. He's a really fun kid to watch play basketball. He plays really hard and is going to be a problem for the Ducks tomorrow. 6'6", 205, LJ's going to have to step up, Eric Williams is going to have to step up, and I mean, he's not Utah's only option. They've got some other guys on that squad that can cause some problems. Mm -hmm. Their starting point guard, I remember, is pretty good. You know what was funny, though, about this Colorado game is, uh, so last season... 
I had tickets to the uh, Oregon Colorado game. I think I tried to get you to go. Something you couldn't go, but I had an extra. I ended up having an extra ticket. I go with my buddy Justin Watson. I'm sitting there watching the game. It was like getting close to the end of the second half, and it was still like it was a good game. And I texted him. I was like, "Remember a few years ago when we went to that Oregon Colorado game?" And he's like, "Dude, that was wasn't that last season." <laughs> Wow, you know, I know actually yeah. it was. <laughs> it's surreal to watch games right now. It really is, and to not even have the. I mean, you like you were saying, like you see a game happening at Matthew. Ness, oh, we should. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> we can't do that. I do want to mention um, USC beat Utah in their last game here on January second. Um, the Utah has been battling some some COVID nineteen issues and things like that. Um, in that game, uh, Utah's leading scorer was Ian Martinez, um, a kid that came off the bench, only played eighteen minutes um timmy allen went for five points eight boards uh afonso Plummer had seven points in that game so this is a team that's reeling a little bit you know and so it's going to be interesting to see how they can respond and if they can um i mean they they've lost two straight games now i mean they lost to ucla before that also you think somewhere there's a utah podcast they're talking about how basketball is reeling right now <laughs> i sure hope so shane i sure do in hope so alternate universe seriously yeah no i really do and then that's where it is it's an interesting <coughs> matchup of two teams that really need to win yeah really really, really need to win um with that i think we'll uh, take a quick break and then we'll come back with a little football wrap-up for you so we'll be right back We interrupt this regularly scheduled podcast with some breaking news. This so often happens to Shane and I right after we wrap the podcast, something happens. But today I was actually still editing as the news was coming in. So I'm just going to sneak this in here for you guys to listen to. Uh, Defensive coordinator for the University of Oregon, Andy Avalos, is on his way to become the head coach at Boise State. Avalos played for the Broncos from 2001 to 2004. One of the best pro, probably one of the best linebackers in program history has a great tradition there. Um, Definitely he's from California, but just going to college there at Boise State and having such an impact that he did during the Broncos run makes a lot of sense for this to really be a dream job opportunity for him. First and foremost, want to say how happy Shane and I here are for the from the Flock Pod for Coach Avalos. More than likely a dream job opportunity for him returning up there to Idaho. And we, we wish him the best. We really do wish him the best. He uh, came to Oregon in 2019, had a nice pay raise to come down to Oregon, was actually Boise State's defensive coordinator previous to that. Uh, Raised the Ducks to ninth in the country from 49th to an immediate improvement. Obviously a lot of talent and a lot of talent coming back, which leads nicely into our next segue here is who's going to be Oregon's defensive coordinator moving forward. Imagine this would be a position that's gonna get a lot of national attention, a lot of big names. We here at the Flock Pot are hoping for a promotion from within, which is something that Oregon has done quite a bit in the past. So again, all the best to Coach Avalos here at his new adventure up at Boise State, and let's see the Broncos on the schedule. We lost a few games. Tough. That was District 5. Now we're the Ducks. Yeah. And the Ducks yeah. are undefeated. All right. yeah. Yeah. Quack. 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 Quack, 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 quack,
Alright, welcome back. We're gonna jump into some pigskin coverage here. I feel weird calling it a pigskin. It's not a pigskin anymore. It's like this weird leather oblong ball. But anyway! Pigskin, like, that's a pretty gross way to describe something. It is. It's it's like, I, you know, I really, I, we should just start over. Like, I should just delete this. But we're not going to, because that's not what we do here. We are semi-professional amateur podcasters, and we let our... Uh, Bad things even show through. So, just kind of like the Ducks did in that uh, PS5 Bowl. I will not call it the Fiesta Bowl. It is the PS5 Bowl. And um, a real eye-opening experience, I think, for this team. But let's just be honest, for our fan base also. Because if you were on Twitter during and after that game, we uh, we saw some not green and yellow colors shining through from our fan base. Yeah, I think that was almost kind of like the, the biggest point. Kind of stole the make, show. Yeah. yeah, it really took all the thunder away from the, the game itself. Was, I mean, you and I both had several encounters with yep. people that was just like, burn it all down, yep. everything sucks. And like I remember that one guy just going after is like, your entire catalog sucks, everything you've ever tweeted sucks or whatever. And Patrick Johnson is our logo. Gonna be like, what happened to this guy? I'm like, oh, the team he roots for lost. So, <laughs> so he's yelling at everybody. That was one of my favorite Twitter actions I've had. I think uh, running the flock pod, just being like, wow, you read our whole Twitter page. Yeah, like, you read everything we've produced. Thank you. Did you go back and listen to the episodes too? Because that would be really cool. You should do that. Tell us everything stupid we've ever said. Yeah, please. I mean, it's just. People are frustrated, and understandably so. I mean, looking at it from a zoomed-out perspective, this is a 4-3 and three season mm-hmm. for a team that came in with some very, very high expectations. With a bunch of 19-year-olds and in that, the field. Exactly, and I think that's the thing that people are, are having a hard time disconnecting themselves from the narrative that developed last year. That, oh, this team's going to come back and contend, and, oh, we've got so much talent. And we did. And we've talked about this at length, is had COVID-19 not happened, had a season been able to progress as it should have, yes, the, the product, the the level of experience and talent that Oregon was going to be able to put on the field on Saturdays would have been completely different. Yeah, but you that's those four or five NFL players. That's not the reality we live in, ladies and gentlemen. And this is, I mean, some people prefer to live in alternate realities. And I like to live in the reality that we're in. And the fact that people are going after Cristobal, the fact that people are going after this coaching staff, the fact that people are sitting on their couch who have never coached a, and I've never coached a football game. But I'm not going to come out and say that Cristobal was doing a horrible job. Were there a few things I would have maybe liked to see differently? Absolutely, and that's my prerogative as a fan, a fanatic that follows this program. When you ask any coach on Sunday or Monday, you know, the day after a game, and they're going to tell you, yeah, should've I probably should have done a couple things yes. different. That's the, the beauty of hindsight Absolutely, is you, is you actually you have something to reference it against. And, like, I mean, the, like the, the Tyler Shook situation obviously kind of didn't pan out perfectly. Mm-hmm. Um but again, in a season, in a perfect world season, you know, there would have been time to figure out, you know, which one of these guys is going to be better with within this team. Because Shook might be a better quarterback than Anthony Brown. Anthony Brown is a better quarterback on this team. It proves in the pudding now. Is this where I get to say I told you so? Yeah. Is this you, is this where I get to say I called this from the summer that Anthony Brown? You better, you better would be, uh, hang your hat onto this one. Yeah, I know. So that's why. I'm, that's why. I'm, so I'm getting really close to the microphone and talking really quietly because yeah, this is. I think that Shook can be a Division One quarterback. I think he has sure. talent. I Absolutely. think that there's a lot of things that he brings to the, the the field that are that are good qualities. But you hit on it for this team, for everything that this team had been through, and what this team needed from that quarterback position. 
Anthony Brown was the better choice. And that I am, I, again, we just talked about not questioning coaches and things of that nature, but this is something that I can say that is my firm opinion that I've had from the get-go, from watching Shook play last year, that Anthony Brown was the better choice for this program, mainly because of things that we've talked about. As a fan, you just feel more calm when he's out there. Mm-hmm. You just you feel a sense of confidence when he's out there taking snaps and making reads and tucking the ball when he needs to and reading the RPO correctly and those beautiful touch passes that he puts on the ball. I really hope he comes back. And I think yeah. that that's something I haven't seen. I saw DJ Johnson is now coming back for sure. Uh, um, Moyer's gone. Uh, Jordan Scott is gone. Uh, Slade is gone. Yeah, a couple of, a couple of big guys on the defense have decided to take off. But again, uh, Fialu has gone. I believe that Anthony Brown. I got my got my president thing out here on my hand. Even you know, I I believe that Anthony Brown is the perfect quarterback to come back and start for a few games next year, get, compete with Ty Thompson to to really kind of bring the the creme de la creme to the top. And then let's find out because I, I, I believe that Ty Thompson has the talent to come in and step in and be a day one starter for this program. I've been adamant about that since I saw the kid play as a junior in high school down there in Mesquite. But having a leader and an experienced guy like Brown who actually plays similarly to Ty Thompson, if you watch some of their film back and forth, I mean, getting away from just the physical things that are, that are similar about them, their play is very, very similar. There's a composure about them. There's a confidence that oozes from them when they're back there taking snaps. So having him be a guy that can kind of lead him in, um, be his mentor and whatnot, I think would be ideal. I think you're going to see Shook transfer. I wouldn't be surprised if I saw Butterfield transfer. Um, I think we're going to see a really big mix-up in this quarterback room moving forward over the next couple months. Well, and that all kind of, to me, boils down to like what they're actually looking for to get out of football. Yes. Like what what they what football means to them as far as a launching point into the rest of the lives. Because there's some guys like with Butterfield. Uh, that's tough to say. Like, I could totally see Shook because he's gotten the taste, and I think it might be getting taken from him. And I bet he knows that. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, he's not an idiot. He, he knows what's going on. He saw that, you know, starting role get taken out of his hands in the two most important games of the season. I'm already hearing U of A rumors. I could, yeah, why not? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Daywood Davis, Flockpod favorite. He uh, landed at um, Western Kentucky. Good for you, Daywood. We're, yeah. we're definitely rooting for you, DD. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, I mean... Within that, too, I think that, you know, there was a lot of new things in the system. New offensive coordinator, brand new offensive line. I think they were thinking, you know, let's get the guy out there with the most experience with this program who can get the ball out of his hands really fast. He's really good at those one-two progression reads. Mm-hmm. We've seen him throw some amazing passes, but we've also seen him make some pretty bad decisions. It's not really the most, the physical stuff. It's everything between the ears. What, what I was, my biggest takeaway from that game in the, the PlayStation 5 Bowl was that when Anthony Brown was at the helm, he was giving his receivers enough time to do things. Mm-hmm. And you started seeing, like, oh, man, like, J.J. Trey had that catch on the yep. sideline. Where yep. I was like, man, maybe he actually could play in the NFL. Yeah. Uh, Jalen Red started to get a little more active. He dropped a couple balls. But he was, you know, able to have enough time to run more complex routes. Where when it's with uh, Tyler Shook, you're like, these, like, down the field, is it open? Nope. All right, tight end. Down the field, is it open? Nope, tight end. All right, down the field, is it open? Yep, throw it up to Devin Williams. And, like, with Anthony Brown, it was just so much more. I was like, oh. I kind of forgot we have all these good receivers. Jalen Red reminds me of hot hands from Little Giants. <laughs> like, I just want to cover his hands and stick them and be like, okay, now go catch the ball. And I think, I mean, I don't want to I don't want to punch you in the gut here, but is Tyler Shook Jared Goff? Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Uh, well, God, they even look like. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, except for the running, the athleticism part, where it seems mm-hmm. like they, they have exact opposite uh, outlooks on when to run the ball, where Jared Goff says never, and Tyler <laughs> Shook is like kind of always. Uh, outside of that first game, that was the funniest text you've ever sent me. Like, he looked like me trying to run the ball. Yeah, yeah, like, seriously. The, the hesitation was just insane. And I think it, it's, it's an interesting comparison because both of them do some things where you're like, wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you, wow, there's a lot of talent in there. Like, if we put you in the right system, you know, if we're, if we're creating a perfect environment for you to play within, you can do a lot of really good things for us. But when things start to break down and when things around you aren't perfect, your mistakes really start to become exemplified. And I just... I, I, I want the best for him. He seems like a really nice kid. He's got a great story. Um, this isn't us, you know, trying to knock a 19 or 20-year-old kid. This is just us being podcasters, trying to do our job, critiquing the way that teams have played and the way that this team has played. And I think if you watch this game, specifically this PlayStation 5 Bowl with not green and yellow glasses on, but just an open perspective, this team was better with Anthony Brown at the quarterback position. Okay, if you took an alien and sat him down and you said, watch <laughs> this football game, you said, which one of those guys better? They'd say 13, for sure. Which, you know, 2021, aliens might just make things even more weird. <laughs> so um, let's let's look at the future now. Because, I mean, we've done a little bit of a recap. We did that on a pot or two before, kind of telling you about, you know, what happened this last season and things like that. Moving forward, I mean, I I put out a tweet um, right after the PS5 Bowl, you know, what Oregon athletes are you most excited about watching this next year? And obviously, you know, Twitter went crazy with football people. And I think that... Football was on the brain. Yeah, football was on the brain. So let's let's think about it from a football-only perspective. And I'm going to pose that question to you again. Who are you most excited about watching um, for this Oregon football team. Like, give me one or two guys. Uh, I mean, I would say the running backs that we had talked about on a lot of previous podcasts. Uh, we already saw one transfer with a, was a Javon Wilson, who's kind of like a practice player. Yeah, so been- kind of we're we're already moving a little bit of uh, creating some space there. Obviously, CJ Verdell wasn't able to play the last couple games. Um, all these players can come back. Uh, I mean. Will they all? Probably not. I I would guess that no, not very many of them would come back. But I think what you're leading into, and is another player that, I mean, we're both going to say is Sean Dollars. Exactly. Because his ability with the ball in his hands is an absolute game changer. And can Moorhead and Cristobal design situations? And I don't know, I mean... He hasn't been great on third downs because he hasn't gotten a lot of opportunity out there to be a bit blitz pickup and stuff it's, like that. It's all such a small sample size. Exactly, it's really so it's hard. really hard to say. But I think he's a kid um, that I'm really, really excited to watch. And then um, on the defensive side of the ball, this is this one's a little bit tougher. You know, I mean, obviously Thibodeau is kind of the easy answer. Um, Suell, Flo, I mean, these are all like the big names. Right, and I mean, Thibodeau, the, the, the thing about Justin Thibodeau is like, Kayvon Thibodeau. Or, yeah. Kayvon <laughs> Thibodeau uh, is, I guess, will we ever see, like, the I, the, the quote-unquote, like, potential, the full potential? The dominance that yeah. we were talked about. And one of the things that Iowa State did a really good job of is they were double-teaming, triple-teaming him almost oh, every single. And it's because Oregon doesn't have the playmakers alongside him right now to free him up. And I think that that's something moving forward next year with so much more talent coming in from a recruiting class, guys getting better and improving. Um, I'm trying to remember his name now, that defensive end. Um, uh, Where Hudson. Oh, okay. um, I'm, yeah, I'm excited to see yeah. him next year also. And I'm not actually, actually, now that I say I that, I should his, make sure. His brother that decommitted. He's a freshman, to, right? 
Where Hudson? Uh, Isn't he a freshman? I think this year was his soft uh, redshirt. If I'm not mistaken. I'm looking him up right now. Because his brother is supposed to this. Uh, Chiron Where Hudson. Hudson yeah. yeah, and it looks like yeah, defense 2019. So yeah, this would make him. Yeah. Okay. So we were right. So yeah, um, I am excited to watch him and what he can do from that defensive tackle and defensive end position, and if he can help free up Thibodeau a little bit. Well, the one thing that Iowa State did that I thought was brilliant to take Kayvon out of the game was they would uh, motion towards him mm-hmm. so they have those like jet sweeps coming towards him and they would play action a lot to that motion and that would kind of freeze him on the edge or even if he beat his guy he would kind of have to contain to slow make sure him down nothing. and it yeah. was that was perfect it was like isolate that take him out Iowa State did all the things we're just gonna we're gonna like we're running on first down we're running on first down we're running on first down and they would do it and it was like all right you know I mean we we, we kind of saw that coming a little bit there was some smoke already in the air from UCLA, Oregon State, Stanford, all running amok on this team. Well, and Brees Hall is a stud, and it, it's a travesty that I didn't talk about him more in the preview podcast. I mean, he's one of the best running backs in the country, mm-hmm. and this kid went out there and proved. I mean, thirty-six carries, one hundred thirty-six yards, two tutties. I mean, he. Th- I mean, Brock Purdy played okay. He he made the play action passes he when he needed to. He needed to do. Exactly. But it was this was Brees Hall and it was the offensive line for the Cyclones that won this game. And that's where I mean we were talking pre podcast. This was like a souped up Oregon State. You know, mm-hmm. you brought up this was 2013 Stanford all over. Yeah, yeah, 2011 Stanford all over again. It was just power football. And I think what was so disheartening from an Oregon fan watching that happen is we thought that we had grown beyond this right we thought we could play power football and i think that we i think the oregon football team can play power football when it's playing this was okay this is very similar to the the stanford game that we just talked about from the women's basketball this was a more experienced team maybe a little less talented but a more experienced team that simply wanted the game more this was Mm. iowa state super bowl stanford was pissed about getting beat three times last year this this stuff matters in sports. It's like the biggest bowl game that school has ever played in. You, we don't play these things on NCAA football 2021. A because it doesn't exist, but also because I mean emotions matter. Where your head's at matters. Did your girlfriend break up with you before the game kicked off? That kind of stuff matters. Mm-hmm. And when you just sit on your couch and look at it from a purely analytical perspective, you're missing so much. Like watch the game with nuance. Think about put yourself in one of those kids' cleats for a play or two and think about what you would do and how you would react to situations. Remember that these are kids. I mean, we've talked about it at length on this podcast. You're watching college athletics. Yes, it makes billions of dollars for old white men, but at the end of the day, it's still about 18 to 22-year-old kids. Right, and there's, like, a lot of these Oregon players, I mean, you, like, you can look at the big, you know, star name players, but even the guys that we don't really talk about as much, they still played in all these like all star bowl, like uh, all star games, not bowl games, and you know are used to playing in these bigger stadiums and stuff. And then you play this game where you have this Iowa State, where a lot of these guys aren't even ranked two and three star kids that are coming out of the farm. But I mean, not even that ranked. Like you're having a lot of players who aren't even didn't get a star at all. So I mean, they go into the stadium and it's the biggest. Spectacle they've ever played in. Not to mention it's uh you know it's a New Year's Six game. It was on a Friday, or yeah, no, yeah, Friday it was night. like in the middle of the day. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's like all the, all this stuff. No, it was a Saturday. Yeah, it was Saturday. It was, it was right because it was after. Yep, yeah, yep, you're right. And I mean, so it's you know, <laughs> like like you said, it's a spectacle. And we 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 mentioned it before too that like this is the biggest game they've ever played. This for Oregon players, this is 
This means nothing. They win the game. They're not really telling girls about it at, uh, and, at the Davis. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the Davis. Shout out. Um, I'm going to end my point on this. If you're one of those fans that was making comments like, oh, well, maybe they should have only given PS5s to the winner, you are completely missing the point of college sports. I'm just going to leave it at that. Mm-hmm. Um, let's jump into some product stuff. Why don't, we, why don't we end the pod with that? Did you have anything else you wanted to talk about from the PS5 Bowl? Oh, no. Nick Pickett went pro. That's good news. <laughs> well, Nick Pickett left school. Yeah, he, uh, he's going to enter his name into the draft. And, again, <laughs> who knows? The raffle. <laughs> who knows what happens there. But, yeah, best of luck there, big hit Nick. Um, let's go NFL side first here. Um, Justin Herbert, uh, obviously, um, crushing rookie records. Um winning people money in Vegas, you know, mm-hmm. by getting overs and things like that. Just an incredible season. Uh, I think that this award should be named after him, even moving forward. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, so uh, players of the week, kind of a players of the season kind of an idea here. But obviously, I think Justin Herbert wins it on the offensive side. Yeah, and he was I, – I wrote all this stuff down. I full page on Justin Herbert. Know, but, uh, I took the trash out before we left the house and – Forgot everything else. It happens, man. That's why we're <laughs> we're uh, we're free flowing here today. That's what we were talking but, uh, about. Herbert was like eighth in passing touchdowns. I think he was sixth in passing yards. An in incredible the season. season. Uh, he was tenth in uh, passes over forty yards, and then sixth in passes over sixty yards uh, completions. I should yeah, say. Yeah. Um, he we we talked about it a few weeks ago. I gave Justin an under over of forty two hundred. 10 yards for his under over for the rest of the season. He ended up at like 43-26, I think, mm-hmm. was his final. Um, I think I saw that there was a Pepsi Rookie of the Year, not offensive and defensive, and it was down to Herbert uh, Herbert and uh, Chase Young for the mm-hmm. two of the top mm-hmm. rookies, and I didn't agree more. I think Chase Young is in. I agree. I, but, I think he had a bigger impact. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think some of that is obviously the Anthony Lynn effect and just Chargers are going to charger. Um, but hopefully now with Herbert being down there, he can begin to reshape that Charger stigma. And obviously with Anthony Lynn now being fired, that's official. Um, the Chargers are out there looking for a new head coach. It's going to be really fascinating. I brought up Joe Brady um, as a possible um, hire there. I don't think that'll happen. That's a very outside the box. You know, let's give this young guy a chance. There's a lot of other great offensive minds out there. Um, the one guy that I heard of, and I can't remember his name now, but the offensive coordinator for the Bills. Um, mm. Is somebody who's being rumored for that job also, and I think that Isn't would be young a young too, young another pretty? young kid. Yeah, but I mean, turning around Josh Allen, let's see what he could do with Justin Herbert because that would be a really fun combination. All those wide receivers. I it was interesting. I got I saw a little bit of a exchange talking about so Urban Meyer, I guess, is going to interview for the Jacksonville job, and people were talking about like why would he want to go to Jacksonville with Trevor Lawrence when you know you already have this Justin Herbert that was good, and I was kind of like, well, no, besides the obvious, you know. Florida's way uh, lower taxes. Yes, is I you know I think I think it is a little tricky when you have like a Justin Herbert because there's going to be certain players who or certain coaches who qualify for this job who might not want it because if you come in and you take over as a new head coach or even offensive coordinator and he takes a step back hurts you. Who, uh, they're, <laughs> yeah. they're not going to blame him. They're only yeah. going to blame you because you are the variable now. Yeah. So I think it's going to be it's going to take a very specific pairing. I don't even know like I mentioned before Eric Bieniemy yep. as being somebody I like from Kansas City. I don't actually the more I think about it, I actually don't know if I like it. I'm hearing him a lot more for the Houston job. Yeah, well there's the Deshaun Watson to get hired, but I mean Deshaun Watson might be a Ram soon. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll see how tomorrow goes. Uh 
Which we haven't even talked to about. Yeah, we'll get into that. <laughs> we'll get into that. Um, but yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see how the coaching carousel plays out because that obviously is going to impact Justin Herbert. And I'm going to jump back to something you said just real quick just to get this takeoff. I don't know if Trevor Lawrence is a slam. Uh, I think he gets taken number one. I think if Urban gets that job in Jacksonville with his ties, I think Justin Fields. Fields has a really good chance. And I... I'm, I mean, I'm, I was on the record earlier this season talking about how I thought Trey Lance was the best quarterback coming out of this class, and I didn't, obviously he didn't really play this season. The one game he did was awful. Justin Fields has impressed the hell out of me, and I am really, I am actually a little excited to watch that national football championship yeah, game. Yeah, but watching we, him play against that Alabama defense. Haven't we seen this whole? I we was have. Like, we totally have. <laughs> I was sure Cordell Patterson was, or not Cordell Patterson. Cordell Jones was a slam dunk. Yeah. I was pretty sure Dwayne Haskins was a slam dunk. I was 100,000% sure that Terrell Pryor was a slam dunk. Mm-hmm. So, whatever. It's happened before. I, I totally hear you. And, uh, I mean, Mark Titus was even talking about how um, Ohio State's team last year was better than this team. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's basically you add uh, uh, Chase Young and then the, the cornerback that they also lost to this basically the exact right. same roster. I'm I'm just allowing myself to get a little excited, and I want to I'm I want to see Trevor Lawrence has not impressed me over the last two weeks, and I know that a lot of things could be happening with COVID, a lot of things can be happening behind the scenes there. He's obviously got a lot on his plate, um, prepping you know behind the scenes stuff for his next move also. So who knows how much that's kind of um, interfering, um, coaching staff stuff happening there at Clemson, guys not being it's it's been a weird season for Clemson. Yeah, COVID. Yeah, that's what I mean. So yeah, I mean how he recovers. I mean we've seen. I mean that possibly affected Cam Newton's entire season also or he just or he just so that that's the variable that we're talking about here that's kind of a play and we're getting way into the weeds here i apologize for even making that but i'm just i'm I'm very excited to watch how that plays out defensive side of the ball nfl products i know this one's right up your alley mr troy hill had himself a career year this season uh he had uh career highs in tackles uh solo tackles um interceptions he led the nfl in interception return yards at 119 he had three interceptions, which he two of which returned for touchdowns. The two interception touchdowns also were tied for the lead in the NFL. Uh, two fumble, forced fumbles, career high, fumble recovery, fumble recovery for a touchdown, also both career high. So three touchdowns on the season, had zero touchdowns ever coming into this season. And uh, he made a move, too. I mean, he changed numbers. He kind of moved over to the nickel corner spot. The Rams had the number one defense in the NFL. Him and Ugo's seasons have really mirrored each other. Mm-hmm. Like you're saying, just the way that they've had a – I know we're talking about a Ram and a Seahawk right now. What else do you expect? Um, it's just been interesting to watch how they've both kind of changed positions and both been integral in their defenses being to being the difference from their defense being average to really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Troy Hill was definitely a big takeaway – Kind of big play guy. He's uh, was really active, especially defensively when other teams got into the red zone because of his athletic ability. And then that game uh, last week, I mean, a must-win game on this weird stalemate of these two strange backup quarterbacks just with their horns locked. And luckily, the one really bad throw, and I think the quarterback thought there was going to be a penalty and threw it. Yeah, there was. Yep, yep. Because he took his helmet off afterwards, mm-hmm. but uh, made an opportunity, got it, and then showed that breakaway speed and. Uh, I mean, but all, all throughout the season. I mean, last week it was definitely a big big win, got the Rams into the playoffs, and now we get a chance to advance without 
Goff's thumb or whatever's going on against Seattle. Yeah, he's not going to play, is he? <laughs> Dude, they still haven't said. I really, I, and I think that's some McVeigh shenanigans there, kind of playing things close to the desk. But, I mean, you're not going to put your quarterback out there that just broke his thumb on his throwing hand. I guess. I mean, they say Goff is tough outside. Of, like, <laughs> Has he figured out where the sun rises yet? Seem like it. Or was that Rosen? Just, no, it was Goff. <laughs> Hard knock. Oh god. I don't so, know. I was just I was talking with again. I was talking to my buddy Justin about it because he was like it was before uh, even before the Cardinal game when he was like, well, they haven't they they said that he doesn't require surgery until maybe the off season so he can play. And I'm like, so. <laughs> <laughs> no, was, it's he was pretty bad with a yeah. perfectly good thumb. Well, and the Rams are high on this backup too. I can't remember his name Wofford. now. Yeah, they were pretty high on him. They seem to like what he can do. An XFL um, guy. You heard a couple um, defensive guys come out and talk him up a little bit, which is always good. You know, you always like to hear that, especially coming from the other side of the ball, the team that's playing against him in practice every single day. Um, it was interesting to kind of watch like him play because he was throwing to all like the guys who you can tell he played with on the second team, and that's like, what happens all a lot. Of a sudden, yeah, Van Jefferson has like seven catches on twelve <laughs> targets, and like like oh, okay, where's weird. my binky? Where's the guy that I've been throwing to in practice every single day? Where's my binky? Um, that'll be a really fun game on Saturday. Yep. Yeah, tomorrow afternoon. Tomorrow, yep. tomorrow afternoon. That'll be an interesting game to watch. Um, the two guys that we've talked about now, Ugo and Troy Hill, um, battling for their respective franchises. Um, who do you who do you have in the Super Bowl? Let's just let's just do a little NFL I here real quick. Who do you have? A wager already on. So I took I put a few ducats on the Bills to win it all. Okay. Seven to one. And then I figured I might as well go along with that. And so I did a matchup bet as well. Okay. Where at uh, I think it was sixteen to one, I got the Bills and the Saints. Okay, okay. I like it. I think the Saints have a I think the NFC is <laughs> pretty wide open and the Saints have I mean, they have three quarterback plays. So I mean yeah. like if shit does oh, sorry. Uh Whoa. <laughs> if, you know, COVID gets around or whatever, I think they have the most options. I think Green Bay has a pretty good shot. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if Seattle made Well, and that's, run. yeah, um, people are throwing a lot of shade at the defensive statistics for the Seahawks for the last couple of weeks, and rightfully so because they were playing against backup quarterbacks and things of that nature. But I think the stats that really matter are the Jamal Adams on and off numbers. When Jamal Adams is out there for that Seahawks defense, they're an elite defense. And I know the stats don't always back that up, but it's – it, the proof is in the pudding when you watch the games. And so if he's able to play on Saturday and they can get past the Rams, I think my my Super Bowl is all – it's it's my, it's a fun pick. It's something that I think could happen. Do I 100% in my heart believe it will happen? Probably not. I think I heard that if if the Seahawks beat the Rams and, I mean, far-fetched, but the football team beats the Bucks, the Seahawks would play the football team. Yes. Next. So, I mean, pretty easy roadmap to the NFC mm-hmm. Championship if some things kind of do go your way. Even – that being said, playing the Bucks in the second round, Seahawks would have home field advantage. And that's I'd a good matchup. That that's game. a good matchup for the Seahawks. I have the matchup that the NFL wants the least, and I have the Buffalo Bills versus the Seattle Seahawks in the Super Bowl. That'd be a fun game. I mean, when they played, it was like... What? It was a shit show when they played. Yeah, because like 52 to 30. We thought so. they were going to run the ball. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> Seriously? But yeah, I, th- I think that would be a really fun matchup. Obviously, the Bills have got a long road to go there in the AFC to get past the Chiefs and the Ravens also. The Ravens are playing really good football right I, now. They're kind of my sleeper also in that yeah, AFC. I, well, I think they're kind of the most glossed over team. Mm-hmm. And I think the Rams still... You know, with or without Goff, have the opportunity to be frisky. Absolutely, that defense just, is elite. Yeah, with the way that you know football in the playoffs is under such a microscope that 
you know, Aaron Donald can just have one of those games. I mean, him and Travis Kelsey were named the only two consensus uh, all NFL players. I think this Saturday's game versus the Rams and Seahawks is going to be like 12 9. Like, it's going to be an ugly game. When we play, though, it's always so gross. (laughs) I mean, that last one, I was just like, what am I doing? It's going to be like the Super Bowl a couple years ago. It's like (laughs) 6-3 or something like that. Really weird. Um, Let's jump over to some round ball and do a little bit of product coverage here. Um, Another situation, I brought it up earlier, where I was dead wrong. Peyton Pritchard is balling out of control right now for the Boston Celtics, and it's... It's it's fun to watch as a Duck fan, but also part of my heart is like, why was I so wrong? Like, did I just? I think part of it is I, I certainly allowed some of my personal bias to come into play here, and we've we've talked about that. If you know, you know. I'm not going to say anything more about that, but it's it's been fun to watch a Duck go out there and perform at this level, especially a guy that when that pick was made, universally panned, universally every draft. I mean, even you know, we thought it was a total reach. Every draft pundit thought it was a total reach, and he's gone out there and played some really great basketball. I'm trying to look up uh, rookie of year odds <laughs> to see. I like it. I like it. He's now 27 to one, and I believe he started out at 100 to one. If you would, if you got him at 100 to one, even with like a fun 10 or five dollar little like did. whatnot, yeah, that's yeah, my boss put five that's on. tasty right now. That's tasty. I mean, um, he's yeah. playing really, really well. That tip back game winner was something else the other night, and I mean, yeah, it's just it's crazy how much. I guess the the thing that surprises me is how much it looks like he belongs there. Mm-hmm. A lot, especially a lot of these rookies, it kind of takes him a minute. Like, All right, kind of feel out some space. He got put into a. I think it's somewhat advantageous situation with Kemba Walker. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, um, absolutely. He could have been buried on the bench pretty yeah. easily. We could have not really seen well, it. Well, Romeo much. Langford's hurt right now, too. I mean, the 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 sea the parted for him. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a one reason why I think Danny did reach with that selection because he knew this was a four-year guy, a guy that could come in and at least, if nothing else, give him con- some kind of consistency. Right. You know what I mean? He's a kid that can come in there, and he's he's been a winner at every level, all that kind of stuff. But it's been his consistent shooting ability that has really surprised me in the NBA. And like we've mentioned, his defense. Him being able to stay in front of NBA point guards has been a huge surprise to me. I mean, really frustrating. Yeah, he's a pest. He's yeah. annoying. He's the guy you don't want to play against in rec ball. I think him and the swatter boy, the big booch, uh, have been the two most impressive products in the NBA uh, Bull Bulls kind of taking up a step backwards, but that whole Denver situation is a little murky. Well, now with Michael Porter Jr. out for at least 10 days, who knows what's going on there, and it's going to be... I just don't think the Nuggets have a plan for Bull Bull. I think they saw him in the draft and were like, sure, we'll why not? Yeah, we'll figure it out. And this is kind of what they did with Nurkic and Jokic, right? I mean, they had two guys. They end up trading Nurk for Plum Dog Millionaire and... That trade kind of worked out for both franchises, if you will, not as well as you would have liked for the Nuggets, probably because now Nurkic is a you know top ten center in the and NBA. Plum dogs in Detroit. Plum dogs in Detroit, but that they also had him for a couple of years, and I mean, watching him play defense in the Western Conference Finals last year is probably a big reason why he's not in Denver anymore. But it's they don't really have a plan to give him minutes or opportunity to develop. He's a guy that I think's really hurt by not playing more in the G League, um, having the G League season be all over the place right now, and so. He just he needs minutes. He needs time to develop. He needs to hit the weight room. He needs to have an opportunity, and he doesn't have that right now. Mm-hmm. And then Troy Brown, when you get him out of D.C. Yeah, that's the Westbrook effect for sure. Yeah, and then uh, Dylan Brooks is having a 
year that's exactly probably he's going to average 18 to you know 18 19 points a game the Grizzlies are going to be terrible I think if the Grizzlies were smart they would sit Morant for the rest of the season and just be like let's go get another top three draft pick and pair him with JJ and him and then you got something Mm -hmm. because they do have a yeah and why not just tank I mean at this point I mean it's this isn't the NFL you're not going to get ridiculed I mean hire Sam Prestine just go all the way they're in between like 8 and 12 (laughs) games it's only 60 left yeah yeah Um, I think that's pretty much all I've got for today's pod um definitely go check out the the twitter page for us go give our instagram a like give our facebook page some love um you can find me at coach i don't think i said my social handle today which was the first time ever yeah Yeah. um at coach justin d you can find me all over the place if you want to jump in my mentions you know what's funny is that you said like one word different in the opening threw it all off yeah everything went out the window we didn't have a whiteboard today we free flowed (laughs) you know and uh sometimes you're gonna get some more turnovers that way but uh, i think overall uh we came out of this game a winner here today so yeah absolutely <laughs> As always, thank you. We love you. We out. Peace. I gave my love a chicken that had no bones. I give. Sorry.
Shout a little bit louder now. 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 